It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Smith rifles that one to Mims. And that's a foot race. He's going to win. Touchdown, Baylor. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Five straight games, Anthony, where he's got a touchdown catch of over 20. That's to the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Donald escapes, trying to buy himself some time, fires, end zone, it's caught. Incredible play by Donald. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know and it's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And joined by one of our most popular guests, somebody who really has a penchant for cutting through the BS and figuring out what's going on behind the scenes with a lot of the drama with these situations that we've seen most recently, of course, with Jamal Adams. He's coming off a really awesome interview on his own podcast with the great Chris Myers, the NFL announcer who has actually done a million different things, but most notably the NFL. Of course, I'm talking about my friend John Grella. John, what's going on, buddy? Hey, Scott. How's it going? I'll put it this way, John. It's gotten a lot less hectic now that Jamal Adams has been traded to Seattle. A lot less to digest, a lot less to shake your head at because we don't have to deal with the drama anymore so let's talk about how this was handled from a communications PR standpoint because I was curious what you thought about what the Jets did. From where I sit, they more or less played it perfectly. They let Jamal talk himself into exhaustion, and then they were able to go out and get themselves a great deal. They did push back a little bit at the end. There was that article by Brian Costello in the Post, but for the most part, they didn't get down in the mud with Jamal Adams, at least when he was here. There was that report by Ian Rappaport that I want to ask you about that came out on NFL Network after he was traded. But first, let's start with how the Jets handled this up until the point that Adams was traded, how do you think they did? They conducted themselves masterfully um, for a rookie-ish GM, uh, Joe Douglas. Uh, straight A's from from my perspective. Most importantly, uh, he got the haul uh, that he needed to get for this all to look its best. Uh, but from a communication standpoint, they did, they did a great job. It's a tough mismatch when you are pitted against someone who can and does say anything uh, and you are constrained by what you're able to say and do because you are the larger established entity. Uh, you know, if, if somebody is um, an activist against a major corporation, uh, and the corporation is pretty limited in what it's able to say. Um, but that, that activist or that rabble rouser um, probably feels very liberated to, to say and do whatever they want. So it's a tough matchup for the, for the organization, but they acquitted themselves quite nicely um, considering all the noise and, and heat uh, and certainly a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of media who were dying to uh, write the story that the that's the same old Jets. 
Having been around coaches and general managers and seeing how they deal with perceived headaches like this, were you surprised that the Jets were still able to get the haul that they got, even though Jamal Adams couldn't seem to shut up? A little bit. Um, you know, <laughs> as good a player as he is, and and obviously folks have, have compared the the return they got for Jamal for the return that the uh, Raiders got for Khalil Mack. Um, this is not a pass rusher. We've been through the, all that, um, but they, they did a nice job. And, and if they did not uh, pull the trigger on the trade now, they could have hung back. And I, I fully expected that the deal would have gone down before the trade deadline this year or before the draft next year. Um, but good for them that they were able to, to uh, offload a headache and, and uh, start to plan for the future. Um, I, I got a chuckle out of the, the tweet this week that said the Jets are perpetually two years away from being two years away. Um, and as much <laughs> as that stings, it, it certainly resonates with me as a, as a fan. But, um, hey, the, here's to hoping that, that we're in a, uh, a new era uh, and, and Joe Douglas is able to, to play cool and know when to hold him and fold him. Do you think that the Jets felt that they had to deal Adams now? I know that publicly the stance was that they were going to keep him unless they got blown out of the water, which is ultimately what happened. But do you think that was sort of a bluff and that they had planned to get rid of him because of the headaches that he was causing? Or do you think that what Joe Douglas was saying publicly was probably the truth? All right, so here's here's um, part of the calculation that, that fans should always keep in mind, which is if the GM had his druthers, he'd, he'd pop the ear, ear pods in and tune out the external noise and let the deal come to him. Uh, the X factor in all this is whether ownership then calls the GM and says, I need him out now. He came after me. Uh, and we can't handle we can't handle this any longer. So uh, we don't know, obviously, whether the Johnsons told Joe Douglas, "I need him out now" uh, or not. But uh, but I suspect that Joe Douglas um, was intent on waiting for the game to come to him, uh, and did so. Kudos to not just Douglas, but to um, the Johnson family for not forcing the GM to make a trade prematurely um, that likely would have um, resulted in a smaller return. Um, and they, they really, um, they showed a little restraint there uh, or maybe Joe just got lucky and, and had the right deal on the table uh, when ownership called and said, it's time we can't have this circus go on, go on any longer. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com.
With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. John, when we first talked about this after the trade deadline, you said that Jamal Adams was trying to push the eject button, that he was doing anything he could to get out. And you just referenced talking about the owner. He had talked about the general manager in the past. Then, of course, a couple of days before the trade, he starts talking about Adam Gase publicly. Before that, there was a report that Gase had something to do with Jamal Adams' unhappiness. Do you think that... The gay stuff at the end was that last charge, that last push to get that eject button and get out of here, that he was essentially at a point where he was going to say and do whatever he had to do, even if that meant creating a potentially awkward situation for himself if he wasn't traded? Uh, add to the list the, that uh, he had his surrogate on TV, Ryan Clark, go after the quarterback as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. So the job was to mash all the buttons and find the one that, that – um, um, triggered the eject. Uh, and, and I don't think that the Gase um, barbs were, were likely the pressure point that made this uh, happen. It was, if any piece of it was, it would probably be going after ownership. That's probably the, the one that's most likely to result in, in that urgency to deal. But I, I, I just believe that it was uh, the stars aligned for a good deal. Um, Seahawks, wanted something the Jets had and, and the Jets uh, did a good job of, of not demonstrating lower value or looking like they were desperate. And, and it would have been very, very easy with all the coverage and all the noise for Douglas to just say, Hey, it's the best I could do. We're washing our hands in this situation. Let's move on. But he, he let the game to come to him and, and kudos to him for that. One thing that a lot of us were worried about, John, was that this would set a dangerous precedent, that if a player spoke up and was vocal enough, then he would be able to essentially whine his way out of town. Now, to some degree, Adams did that because I think if he hadn't opened up his mouth, he probably wouldn't have been traded, mostly because I think that if Joe Douglas had been offered this deal, he would have taken it anyway, but 
he probably wouldn't have been offered this deal because teams wouldn't have thought to call. I think that's the biggest thing here is that Jamal Adams making his unhappiness known gave a smoke signal to teams to go out and call. We saw that around the trade deadline with Dallas, and then it continued on through the deal to Seattle. Do you think, though, that this sends a precedent Or are teams and the other players in the league going to look at this and say, there's no precedent here. They held on to him until they got the value that they wanted. This is a trend that transcends the New York Jets. Um, In sports, we're seeing, um, certainly we've referenced this before, in basketball, players in uh, shopping for dream teams or creating dream teams through free agency and and other means and and in football we've we've referenced a few players Antonio Brown Jalen Ramsey and others uh, who have who have um, engineered trades for themselves so this is not particular to the Jets that said uh, do they want to look like suckers do they want to look like they could be easily manipulated by players um, of course they don't so uh, good for them to to avoid look looking like they were manipulated and very hard to bicker with the return that they got. And so this is one of those scoreboard situations where people say, hey, Jamal Adams uh, wind his way out of town, and Joe Douglas just says, look at all those picks. Check out the scoreboard. Um, that's all I got to say. And so uh, good for them. Uh, none of these situations are without mess, right? Like any time there's there's acrimony or or divorce going on there's there's going to be some bloodshed there's going to be some some cross words and 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 certainly we had that here that's the way these things work but but um they did not position themselves uh in a weak or desperate fashion and end up looking uh not like they were manipulated, but instead like they dealt from a position of strength, which is what any negotiator would want to do. We talked about how the Jets handled this whole thing. Now let's talk about how Jamal Adams handled it. In the end, he did get what he wanted, but what did you think about his strategy? It worked for him, but it almost didn't because if the Seahawks hadn't given up what they gave up, he probably would have ended up coming in here. And that was part of the strategy, by the way, is that Jamal Adams did come out and say that he wasn't going to be skipping camp, so he let the Jets know that if they didn't trade him, he would be here. How would you assess the way that he handled this entire saga? I think it's very easy, and, I, and and you could probably tell from from our conversations that I try to consider everyone's perspective and and make an assessment based on um, all the factors in combination. Um, but from Jamal's standpoint, look, he's a younger athlete, and this generation of athletes uh, are free to speak their minds, and uh, us geezers. Uh, we'll sit around and say, well, back in the day, players didn't do it like that and, and players need to shut up and play. And, you know, it's, it's very easy to sound like that, that uh, grumpy old man uh, who doesn't like when athletes sound off. Um, so do I think that what he's doing and has done is, is, is more common than ever before? Sure. Um, but Hey, he, uh, he, Seemingly, and I know we'll get to this part later on. If you if listen closely and read between the lines of what Kim Jones and and others have said about the locker room and who did not speak out after he left and wish him well, um, I think you could probably fairly surmise 
that uh, he has graded on some of his former teammates, that he has risked uh, ruining, tarnishing his reputation. And as a 24-year-old superstar, um, you want to preserve that reputation. But he prob- the lust, some of the luster has, has certainly come off uh, in terms of how Jamal is regarded, not just by people who know him best, but he's going to be that guy where when you see him flash on Sunday, you and your friends, um, when you're able to watch football together again, are going to say, uh, that guy, he's a diva. Um, and, you know, not not exactly the best way to be. He may not care because he's going to laugh himself all the way to the bank, um, but that stuff wears over time. And, and we discussed also on numerous occasions that the captain, the, the, the captain C on your chest is not an entitlement for star players. Um, th- that is serious. It is sacred to a certain degree. Yeah, are mistakes made with, with um, who, who ends up getting a C? Sure. A lot of times a standout player, especially one who's charismatic, will, will get that captain C. Um, but a lot of times they don't end up keeping it um, or, the, or, they, or people roll their eyes uh, when they're not around. And they're self-proclaimed presidents uh, and and leaders of their own locker rooms, and they're pied pipers with no followers. Um, so, you know, uh, let me let me draw a uh, parallel to something that came to mind just yesterday. So, when I was in Tampa in 2010, I came there and was um, was fixing to move down there when the Bucks drafted Gerald McCoy. Gerald was the uh, third overall pick. Uh, and, um, he came to town and fans instantly, not, I mean, you would think they would be excited to have this premium pick right at a position that Warren Sapp used to play, but because Warren Sapp used to play there, Sapp was the gold standard and he, he was worshiped and is worshiped down there because they had won Super Bowls. Well, Gerald came to town and Gerald's got this ebullient personality, uh, and people from the get go. We're, we're looking at him in a different way and saying he plays a similar position to Sap. Uh, let's see if he's productive, as productive. Gerald, because of his personality, was quite the contrast with Sap, who was kind of a, a, a salty kind of fella. And before he was in the media and was all smiles, is a, a tough customer um, to the media and, and, um, and looked like he was all business, right? He came in with a chip on his shoulder and whatnot. But so Gerald came in and there was, those instant comparisons. Gerald didn't rack up the sack numbers that Sap did, and people started to turn on him. He got he tore one uh, bicep the first year, and and the other bicep the next year, um, and people started to call him a bust very very early. What really graded on people, and I find this interesting from a psychological standpoint, was that Gerald, through thick and thin, was always all smiles always stood tall and talked to the media and and had a good personality in an appropriate way, even through some very tough times. But he always would take reporters' questions, always had a crowd around him, always did the best he could and conducted himself with class. That is a captain, and that's a guy who had his teammates respect. Well, lo and behold, um, you know, the team struggles year after year. The fan base seemingly got annoyed that he was like a happy warrior and that he wasn't Warren Sapp and this, this surly guy. Uh, and, and they, and they really turned on him. And, and my feeling then was Gerald was 
the only player – he was the constant. He was the only player who was really still there through all those bad years. And so are you going to blame the guy who didn't wash out? You're going to blame the guy who who was solid and consistent and, and the constant through, through all those tough times? Well, so fans turned on him, and, and I think that was part of the reason why he ended up leaving town. Well, uh <laughs> I see on Twitter yesterday that uh, Greg Allman, who's a beat reporter for the uh, Tampa Bay Times, is is uh, tweeting about uh, Gerald, and and I decided to chime in and I said, um, "Well, Gerald always stood tall. Gerald was the constant. Gerald always conducted himself with class. Gerald was a captain through and through, and and you know truly." what you would want out of, out of, uh, out of your team's leader. Uh, and, and, um, Gerald wrote back, um, some very nice words, but the, the point of it was what a contrast to Jamal Adams, um, a high pick, um, who through adversity stood tall, never separated himself from his teammates, always took reporters questions and spoke from a team perspective didn't did not big time his teammates didn't scapegoat those who had left ha, i mean handled himself in in an exemplary manner so if we're talking premium you know top of the draft talent big personality and a lot of media demand and attention uh and pressure placed on his shoulders a lot of fans hopes placed on his shoulders you could see the contrast one guy um, cut and run, and one guy stood tall, um, and and that's why Gerald McCoy has my respect. And that you know, and and it wasn't for the lack of knowing. I spent a lot of a lot of time with Gerald and standing next to him and and chewing the fat with him about about the tough times and how the media um, treat him and the team. And you know, it, it, I, I I he has my respect and always will because of the way he conducted himself. And and obviously whether it's relationships or your um, professional conduct, how you comport yourself during tough times uh, really is revealing of your your character. Um, And so I I think we've said all that needs to be said about, about what Jamal does when the pressure's on and when the chips are down. Uh, And, and it's good to have this perspective of how other people in similar situations handled it better. I want to talk a little bit more about what you touched on with Jamal Adams being a leader. You said in the past and just now that he strikes you as much more of a Pied Piper than a leader, a guy that needs to tell people that he's a leader rather than just being one. And I did think it was very odd that, as you pointed out, and Kim Jones was the first one to mention this, None of his teammates have come out publicly and said anything. Now, that doesn't mean that privately they haven't texted him or called him and wished him well or something. But you would think for a guy that was a, quote, locker room leader, the guy that other people on the team look to, supposedly, that you would see this outpouring of support publicly. We haven't seen that. And it makes me think that maybe he thought himself as more of a leader than a lot of the other guys in the locker room did. Is that the situation, do you think, John, that Jamal Adams is more a leader in his own head than he is in reality? I I think there's no other way to really look at that. He separated himself from his team repeatedly. He cast his lot with the media, and he certainly proclaimed himself the president. 
um, it, in an alternate, in an alternate universe, um, a lot of Jets players would have spoken out and said that the team is, isn't committed to winning because they just offloaded their best talent. That didn't happen. So I don't want to put a ton of stock into what wasn't said and why, because we don't really know. But you could certainly envision a scenario where a lot of players were hacked off that the team dealt its best player. Um, that didn't happen. So so uh, we <laughs> enter that into evidence, too, uh, about how he was perceived. And I think the fact that Kim Jones hit it so hard and hit it repeatedly um, tells you something. And I, and I get the sense, I forgot who else was talking about eye rolls. It might have been Kim or somebody else. Um, but I think you, you assemble all of this evidence and you assess where, where the truth may lie. And, the, and my best estimate is that uh, he was probably uh, well regarded on a personal level and that he was a fun and charismatic fella and obviously a, an exceptional talent, uh, but probably wasn't the, uh, wasn't the Pied Piper with the following that he, that he thought he had or deserved. So that's what you get uh, when you cast your lot with the beat reporters who don't wish the team well, instead of uh, wrapping your arms around your teammates and or linking arms with your teammates and, and saying, we're all going to go down together. Um, but better than that, we're going to uh, battle through this together and, and emerge stronger. And we're going to look back at these times uh, when we're hoisting the Lombardi trophy someday and say, this was, you know, the beginning of a, of a special process. Um, that wasn't what happened. John, overall, as a communications and PR person, having seen how this played out, are you confident now that Joe Douglas and his team know how to handle this from a PR and communications standpoint going forward and that the Jets don't have to worry, at least from that end? Well, the substance is the main course here, right? So if they had not gotten the return um, in the trade that, that they got – then you would probably judge the PR bad as well as the uh, as well as the main course, the substance of the matter um, differently. But they they got the haul they wished for, and and so everything looks that much rosier as a result. Um, the good news is you can't really uh, judge a GM or a coach just on optics, just on how just on performance uh, in in the public sphere, how they do their jobs when the doors are closed and when the microphones and cameras are off is a, is a wholly different matter and is much more important than, than what they do uh, when the lights are on. But I'm, I'm comforted that they were able to tune out external noise and keep their eye on the ball uh, and execute a trade that was tough, I'm sure, to, to put together and, and, and get done. Uh, and and so it, it does give me more optimism that they know what they're doing, that the inmates are not running the asylum, and and that uh, that they're they're going to proceed with a not just a cliche, but a but a true team first mentality, which is the beginnings of a of a, you know a solid foundation. Let me add one more thing about about um, Adam Gates, right? For too long during this Jamal Adams saga, everything that Jamal said, who was popular, uh, was proof that Adam Gase was bad. And everything uh, that 
that reinforced that Adam Gase was bad was the side that people wanted to be on. And I had reiterated to to friends and, and folks on Twitter that both Gase and the player can be jerks. It you this they are not mutually exclusive. They can they can both um be what you think they are. Uh and and that, that doesn't mean that Jamal's all good and that Gase is all bad or or vice versa. You could just assess the situation for what it is and understand that there are going to be times where where everyone's a little a little bit bad, if not more, um, and that we have to operate in, in shades of gray uh, more than we do in black and white. And so, you know, that that's that's probably um, good counsel, I think, for moving forward. That fans should try to take themselves away from being in an emotional place and instead place themselves in the decision maker's chair and and think about things a little bit more surgically and and rationally um and that's the only way if you're going to give the team advice you can't do it from an emotional place is what i'm saying john as much as i enjoy our conversations about these matters i really wish that we could just have private conversations about 80s pro wrestling and not have to deal with all this drama again but i'm glad that the jamal adams situation is over that the jets got great value for him at least on paper and that everybody can move on and hopefully the jets are able to take those draft picks and turn them into really good players that can help them win for the next bunch of years john grella our consigliere on all things communications and pr thanks so much for coming on really appreciate it i know you got a lot of stuff going on new company and all so talk about that and your podcast i mentioned before that the great chris myers was on so you got a lot going on yeah we're we're keeping busy during this pandemic i can't sit still um the podcast first of all is called the politics of sport sport of politics podcast i co-host it with my uh, old buddy Jeff Embler and we talk about the intersection of politics and sports before it was really cool um, or or upsetting the way it is right now but that intersection and we called it that because of how sports sometimes um, get invaded by or infected by politics and and a lot of times politics feel like sports who's up who's down and so on so please check us out the politics of sports sport of politics podcast available in all your uh friendly local uh podcast stores and then yes we did launch um a new public affairs agency this week called protean p-r-o-t-e-a-n public affairs proteanpublicaffairs.com uh and i've launched it with a bunch of uh friends and former colleagues five powerhouses uh joining forces to um hopefully uh do some do some good uh pr crisis grassroots research and other good work advocacy work um so please check us out uh thanks for the opportunity to plug uh both of those projects but we're we're keeping busy over here in in washington that's protein not protein so don't get confused by that and make sure that you're following john on twitter at jonathan grella so you can get all the information 
on his PR project and on the podcast that he's doing. And you can check out the most recent episode with Chris Myers. If you haven't had a chance to give us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we would be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.